Hello and welcome to the 75th episode of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. I'm sitting in my bedroom in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my co-host, Rob Peters, he's in his living room in Indianapolis. We have Abu Dhabi and a reflection on the 2020 Formula One World Championship on the docket today. Of course, Rob and I will discuss the news of the week and shift some gears to a few of them as well uh, that we will save just for that segment that everyone loves upshift downshift uh and let us not forget we have our our featured paint scheme segments and and racetrack uh segment as well so we're gonna get going here today because we've gone over a few few times here recently but before we get going and get started uh, i want to remind you about our twitters rob is at r-p-e-e-t-e-r-s-3-3 i am at roller underscore zero one that is r-o-l-l-e-r underscore zero one and the show is at robin roller just as it sounds r-o-b-a-n-d-r-o-l-l-e-r without further ado rob i want to hand you the reins this show thank you josh i appreciate it let's jump on and start with rob's racing report and we'll just talk about the news we'll talk about the news from this past week we had a lot to discuss last week not as much this week but still quite a decent amount Uh, starting at off with Formula One here during the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix TV broadcast. David Croft shared that he is hearing that Portugal uh, is shaping up to be the 23rd race in the 2021 calendar to replace the slot uh, vacated by Vietnam. So that would be pretty interesting. It'd be a good, good thing. I still think that they should also replace uh, the just Bahrain with the outer layout in general. Um, that'd be great. That'd be not going to happen, but not going to happen. But hey, I can dream. Uh, Next piece of news here, McLaren Group confirmed Sunday that it has signed a deal to attract significant long-term investment into McLaren racing led by a U.S.-based sports investment group named MSP Sports Capital. MSP has diversified sports investment groups. Excuse me, let me go back. MSP has diversified sports investment groups with stakes at a variety of levels within media and sports, including the MLB, NBA, ESPN, and other sports management. The move is to help bring McLaren Formula One back to the top, winning races and a championship. Well, getting third in the championship, in the Constructors' Championship, not bad. Um, so, and, and, you know, maybe Daniel Rick and Danny Rick and uh, Lando Norris are going to be a good combination next year. I'd actually be I'm, great excited. I'm excited for that. Uh, Ferrari, we talked about this guy last week. Uh, this guy last week didn't get called up to F1, but he should have. But uh, Ferrari have announced that Callum Eilat will be the team's official test driver for 2021. So Ferrari having themselves a new test driver to test the new Ferrari that will debut next year with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. I can't believe... You know, it's really... How many teams has Carlos Sainz jumped for him? I mean, he started at, at Toro Rosso. Yep. In five years. It's been five years. So he started at Toro Rosso. He went to Renault. Then he went to Renault. Um, McLaren. He, he was, then he went to yeah. McLaren, and now he's going to Ferrari. So that's four yeah. teams in five years. Yeah. That's that's crazy, man. He did kind of get the boot from Renault to make room for Ricardo, though. That's kind of what happened there. I mean, yeah, but, I mean, he landed on his feet, so. Yeah, he landed well on his feet. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, anyway, so. Good for good for that. Good good for signs then. But anyway, so Callum Eilat's going to be the test driver at Ferrari. Uh, so definitely, uh, I'm sure he would prefer a Formula One seat, but at least he's not going to be bored next year. You know, yeah. at least he's going to have something to do. He's going to get to go to Formula One Grand Prix. Uh, that's a good thing. It's, it's just unfortunate that he has to see Mick driving the car. He was he probably should have driven. Uh, oh well. 
Anyway, but uh, Josh and I will discuss this a little while later, but Helmut Marco and Red Bull will be making the decision on who will drive along Max Verstappen in 2021 in the coming weeks, most likely before Christmas. Uh, Alex Albon was given until the end of the season to prove his case to return to Red Bull next season. Another piece of 2021 uh, silly season will also be discussed later in the show pertaining to uh, Mercedes. So, And I, I want to talk about this Red Bull thing. This is This is crazy. This is the most recent thing that I've heard. So as we all know, it's been rumored for a while now, and he did just have his, his young driver's test this week, this weekend, uh, or this past couple of days. Uh, but Yuki Sonoda is probably going to go into Alpha Tauri. Now, someone, I saw someone mention out there on the Twitter sphere that they don't know what Red Bull's going to do and could even decide to promote Sonoda straight to Red Bull, which would, would be, be unprecedented and yeah. likely impossible. I don't, I don't believe like that. that's going to happen. I don't know where this guy's getting this information. I don't know where this is in, this isn't coming from. But I like to talk about crazy, wild rumors and just see what comes out of them, right? Yeah. You know, just so we have documentation. Like, you know, have you ever read like Jayski from like the two thousands or something and found all the rumors that just com- turned out to be completely BS and just not true, but were still interesting to talk about even today. This, oh yeah. This is this is why I do that. Is these crazy rumors that I hear that I don't believe are going to happen at all. But in like in, in, in a year or two, when we have a better idea of what how things fell into line, it's going to be funny to listen back on this and be like, wow, we were way off. Or wow, hey, we turned out to be right. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so that's, that's, that's that. Um, we got some more feeder series news. We talked about feeder series last week, but uh, this is the interesting piece of news that broke uh, earlier today, late, late yesterday, I can't remember. Um, Arthur LeClaire, brother of Char LeClaire, will make his FIA F3 debut in 2021 Prima. Uh, Leclerc finished runner-up in the Formula Regional European Championship uh, Series uh, this past year t- uh, to uh, teammate Prima teammate Gianluca Petikoff. He was the champion. Now, interesting, I mentioned that because Petikoff has announced on Twitter, actually as of the 15th, on early early on December 15th, uh, Petikoff announced on Twitter that he will not be moving to F3 next year with Prima. So Prema's getting rid of him. Uh, and his future is unknown at the moment, so he does not have a ride in anything. Not in um, in, in the new uh, Formula Regional Alpine, that Alpine, I guess that they're called they call it, um, nor in FIF three. So the reigning F Formula Regional European Championship champion will not have will is is out of a ride right now, which is crazy to think because Leclerc lost to that championship. All he had to do was finish in the points, and he couldn't even do that. And Petikoff took the championship from him. And I understand that Leclerc probably has more money than Petikoff, so I get that. Petikoff does have some major backing. So I don't get where any of this is coming. Why? I, I, I don't get it. I would choose the guy who was more consistent. But then again, interesting decisions are made. Maybe, you know, Leclerc impressed somebody else somewhere and probably wanted to give him a shot in F3. Now, keep in mind, he's going to be in the best car in F3. So the long story short here is this, if this guy does not perform, I mean, there's a problem. I mean, Prema gives guys, at least in, at the F3 level, at F2 level, they do try and give guys the best stuff that they possibly can. It's different as you get down the feeder series. Usually they'll favor the guys with more money, which is why a lot of people are upset that Prema clearly did not favor Jamie Chadwick this year, despite her being on the team. This is something, this is a situation where if Leclerc is going into the best team in f3 he's gonna have to perform because logan Sargent by far had the least amount of money compared to his two teammates in at prema and he was still able to win races and contend for a championship so at this point leclerc has really 
he has to prove himself in F3 in order to to show that he does he belongs there. And that's really what it's going to come down to is you're going to get into the best car in, in, in the series and you're going to have to compete. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and speaking of guys who will be in new cars with money, uh, IndyCar, shifting over to IndyCar, Dalton Kellett will be returning to AJ Foyt Racing in 2021 and will pilot the number four Chevrolet full-time. Uh, this seemingly displaces Charlie Kimball, however, which is, it, to me personally, I feel like Charlie Kimball gets a lot of hate that's unnecessary. I think Kimball is a very fast and consistent driver. He's just not as fast as maybe some of his colleagues are. Uh, but then again, he doesn't need to be fast. Kimball is a guy who brings funding most of the time. Uh, and he's a really nice guy, and he's a really, really good guy to talk to. Um, it's just a shame that, you know, this is – he keeps trying to get these rides in IndyCar, and he can't seem to pull anything out. Uh, and, and last year was a dismal year because, again, he was with Foyt, which is not the greatest, but he still had really good performances on ovals, on ovals, which is their strong suit. Uh, and I think that definitely shows more of Kimball's talent than anything. Um, so, yeah, just disappointing there, but good for Dalton Kellett for at least signing that full-time deal. Uh, now moving on into NASCAR, which is by far the largest amount of news that we'll have. Uh, so uh, new news out of 2311 Racing. They've announced its pro- five primary sponsors for Bubba Wallace's number 23 Toyota. So we've got DoorDash, McDonald's, Columbia Sportswear, and who call- I call this Dr. Pepper, and Root Insurance. I knew Dr. Pepper was going to get on board. You can't have car number 30, 23 not be sponsored by Dr. Pepper. I'm fairly certain they do this as a marketing thing. They have to, right? Like Dr. Pepper has to be like, "Oh, are you car number twenty-three? Yeah, we'll we'll sponsor you. We don't even care. We don't. We do not even care. Is your car like? I mean, they did this at BK. Like, I, I know it was yeah. not like technically BK. It was, it was not actually affiliated with Dr. Pepper. But the only reason they had a car number twenty-three was so that it could be sponsored by Dr. Pepper. Right. So I saw this coming. Um. But anyway. Uh. So um. I'm moving along. Uh. Dr. Pepper sponsoring Denny Hamlin now. Uh, this means that he's no longer a part of the Coca-Cola racing family. However, Excuse me, that's, that's my bad. That's Wallace. Oh, Bubba Wallace too. Bubba Wallace, yeah. It's Wallace. It's, it's Bubba Wallace. So Wallace oh. is no longer a part of the, the Coca-Cola racing family. Am I bad? No, you're fine. I'm just, I just read, I'm just a news reader. I don't, I, I just read the news. I don't report it as, as much as I should. I just read it. <laughs> um, worldwide technology sponsor of Bubba Wallace since 2018 is actually not following him to 2311 racing and is currently evaluating its sports and sponsorship strategy so can't wait to call it gateway again right uh i don't know that's my you you think they're gonna still sponsor gateway i think they're gonna still sponsor gateway i think they're just what they're sponsoring is kind of what i what i got i don't know if they're going to stick with rpm or if they're going to try and go somewhere else or maybe go to a completely different sport and try their hand there with someone else Who, who knows do they I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Adams, this was interesting. I, I don't know. This is really interesting, this this next piece of news here. Adam Stern shared data from Morning's Consult, a global data intelligence company, which stated that NASCAR was ranked ninth on the fastest growing brand names among Gen Z. The eight brands in front of NASCAR are Zoom, of course. Uh, not, let's, let's be honest. Zoom is probably the biggest growing brand because everybody had to use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of course, we're doing this on Discord. Personally, I, I tend to prefer Discord, but I guess everybody else likes Zoom. Um, but And then TikTok is behind it. HBO Max, uh, DoorDash, Instacart, Food Network. Food Network? What? I know. Wait, how did Food Network get up there? Dude, I have not watched Food Network since Emerald Live went off the air. Are you even? I don't think you're Gen Z, though. That's true. I'm a millennial. That's my problem. Yeah. I'm a millennial. 
But really, I guess Gen Z's like Food Network. Huh. Okay, Twitch and Beyond Meat are the other two. So Beyond Meat I see, Twitch I see, but Food Network? What? Health conscious? I, I, I don't know. I don't watch the Food Network myself. Again, I have not watched Food Network with, oh, since, since Emerald Live went off the air. When, when Emerald Lagasse left Food Network, that was when my interest in the network just waned entirely. I mean, if there's nobody, say, a Doc Gibbs and the Emerald Live band, and then bam, bam, every time, I'm just not interested. I mean, this guy made cooking into the, the coolest thing you could do. I mean, the Food Network shows back then really did outdid themselves with that with that kind of idea. But yeah, totally, totally different market now, and I guess I'm just not the target demo anymore. So You aren't. Clearly, they're going after Gen Zers and not people like me who would prefer to watch Iron Chef reruns, the Japanese Iron Chef, not this American crap. The Japanese Iron Chef with subs. Subtitled. Yes, subtitled Japanese Iron Chef. That is what I want to watch, Food Network. Do not. Why do I have to keep looking at that on. I, I watch them on YouTube. Anyway. Whatever. Whatever. New piece of news. New piece of news. Riley Herbst has been an, con, officially confirmed as the driver of the number 98 for Stuart Haas Racing in the Xfinity Series. Who saw this coming? Nobody? I, I didn't. Um, he's going to have sponsorship from Monster Energy, too. Mm-hmm. So they're following him over there. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're following him over there. That's ah, wow. Wow. Maybe he'll do well. Maybe he'll do well. We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't like to write guys off. I don't like to write guys off. Uh, Mike Snyder will be driving full-time for Richard Childers Racing in the number two Chevrolet in 2021. And after a, a, an expanded partnership with TaxLayer in a social media post from Richard Childers Racing, it seems that the original Louisiana Hot Sauce and Superior Essex may also be primary sponsors, which, uh, again, I'm pretty sure are primary sponsors of Myatt in general. I know yeah. he's got Louisiana Hot Sauce has been a sponsor for him for many years. So Yeah. Uh, good for him. Snyder's been really impressive, man, in the Xfinity Series when he's in there and when he's competing. Even when he was racing uh, for uh, those that those races, oh, he wasn't in RCR last year when he was with the uh, Ryan, Ryan Seed's uh, team. Yeah. He, he did pretty well in that car, too. So good for him. Good for him. He almost had the playoffs in that car, man. Yeah, dude. He Yeah, for, for sure, man. And that would have been crazy because Ryan Seed would have had two cars in the playoffs. Yeah. Who would have saw that coming, right? Who would have no saw one. that coming? No one. Oh, man. Um, our motorsports, which is my favorite thing in the world to see. Have you ever watched, looked at our motorsports and seen people talk about it on Twitter and they have this Bugs Bunny picture superimposed over the, uh, the Soviet flag. It says our motorsports. <laughs> no, I, I don't even you get have not seen this meet this. You have not seen this. No, it is my favorite meme that has been going around. It is like this. It's it's like you know our motorsports like our so it's like communism or something it's like as oh, Bugs Bunny okay. as Soviet flag our motorsports it, well, what it, Bugs it Bunny? makes it makes me laugh I don't know why it's Bugs Bunny it's just Bugs Bunny like hugging air I don't get it I don't get it but it's funny it's funny every time I see it so I, I don't like every time an icon being associated with communism like that. <laughs> I mean, I guess if if, if millennials it, are people, millennials our age and Gen Zers don't know their history, I guess I can only blame their their teachers or their lack of attention in, in history class. But, you know, whatever we can we can do that. I guess uh, that that's upsetting. It's it's I don't no okay look so there's a meme going around where anytime like someone says something is belongs to someone right. 
And then it, there's it's a meme to jokingly reply back. And instead of saying it's mine, you jokingly reply back with a Soviet flag that says our. Right? I get that, yeah. You get that, right? So I get you know, that, yeah. But you don't you just don't find the humor in it like I do. I don't find the humor in it. No. Okay. Well, I find uh, it to be outrageously hilarious. So I guess whatever. If That's I would next- if I okay, I I'll say this. And then you can move on. I would say I probably would have got a chuckle at lo- the first time. Like, okay, moving on. I'm gonna send it to you like while you're talking, and I want you. Actually, I have it. This is gonna. This is the worst case of podcast ever. Is I'm gonna read the news. I'm gonna read the news while I send this to him. Um, okay, I just sent it to him. So, our motorsports is expanding to a two car operation in 2021 with not only Brett Moffat running full time in the number two. But the team will also field number three Chevrolet with a cast of drivers and sponsors to be announced later. Do you see it? What well, you're not laughing? Okay. Uh, Tyler Reddick will pilot the number three at Daytona. Zero three. Zero three at Daytona. Uh, and this car will also potentially see Fer- Santino Ferrucci behind the wheel. Now, this is something interesting. And I didn't talk about this in IndyCar. But uh, I don't think Ferrucci has a deal to run in IndyCar next year. You don't think I've so? heard. I don't think Ferrucci has a deal to run in, 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 in IndyCar next year. I heard that Clydell, his sponsor, pulled out, and uh, uh, Dale Coyne is shopping around to the highest bidder, basically. Because let's be honest, it's Dale Coyne. He'll take any – he'll he'll just well, give the highest bidder. He doesn't care who it is. Did it's he the lose any money with Alex Pillow leaving? So, yeah, th- I mean, I, as far as I know – because uh, he didn't have, like, I, as far as I understand, Ferrucci was, he didn't have any sponsorship outside of what was already signed on to be the car, the sponsorship for the number 18, which was supposed to be Bourdais, right? Yeah. It was supposed to be Bourdais. Um, but because Bourdais had some contract issues, it, it didn't end up getting sorted out. So this, apparently, this is, this could be, we could be connecting some dots here to why Ferrucci is looking into running NASCAR anyway, is because yeah. apparently he doesn't have a ride in IndyCar right now, as it stands. Okay. So that's that's really why. So that would be interesting because then it, it with Kellett being confirmed today, it makes me really think, okay, so now Dale Coyne has two rides open. There are two very high market pay drivers on the on on the market right now that are coming from Formula One. What do you think happens? I know we're talking about NASCAR, but what, what, what do you think happens genuinely? You think Charlie Kimball also ends up could potentially end up at Dale Coyne? I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't rule out Kimball coming there too. But I also wouldn't rule out him signing someone like Grosjean or Perez. Yeah. Yeah. They bring money. Well, they bring money. They bring money. They're interested. Maybe not so much Perez, but I could see Grosjean. He he did say he was maybe rethinking it after the crash, though. I mean, he'll rethink it, but at the end of the day, he's gonna. There's a ton of F F1 drivers that are in IndyCar now that absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, look at look at the career renaissance it's given Takuma Sato, Max Chilton, um, even Rossi, Alexander Rossi. You could argue mm-hmm. uh, the the. I mean, IndyCar is a lot of fun for a lot of these drivers uh, that come over here. I mean, it gives them second chances to run and be competitive and be seen as more than just some F1 also ran. You know, gives them a chance to reinvent themselves, and I, I really think that's great. I don't. I, I mean, I understand why Grosjean would be concerned, but he's. But dude, you've got four ovals to worry about. Mm-hmm. 
like, and only two of them are the scary ones. So, like, and and one of them is Indy. So if you don't run Indy, like, what's what's even even Max Chilton does Indy because he loves it. He's like, I hate ovals so much, but Indy, Indy, y'all run because it's it's Indy. You don't you don't skip Indy. Like that's yeah. his whole thing is like, you don't skip Indy. <laughs> and I totally get it. You saw his helmet. That guy freaking. I remember talking to Max Chilton when the first time he had come over here. This guy was in love with IndyCar from the second he stepped foot in one of these cars. I th- I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen to Grosjean. Anyway. All right. We were talking about NASCAR. I'm bad. Josh, you're giving me this death glare of like. My I'm not giving me death rails. glare. <laughs> it, my co-host is off the rails. What has become of this podcast? It's our it, it's 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 the second to last show of the year, guys. Okay, okay, give, give me a break. Okay, it's, it's been a long 2020. We've had a long year. It's the second to last show of the year. Yeah. NASCAR Wheel of Modified Tour released its schedule consisting of 14 races, beginning at Martinsville on Thursday, April 8th, and ending at Stafford on Saturday, September 26th, with stops at Stafford, Riverhead, Jennerstown, Oswego, New Hampshire, New York International. Beach Ridge and Richmond in between. Uh, NBC analyst and former Hendrick Motorsports crew chief Steve Latart is now serving as a consultant to Spire Motorsports. Latart told Motorsport.com that he is uh, that this is his way to stay relevant and connected to the sport to help his work in the TV booth. So very interesting pieces of note for there. All right, so Josh, I I know you gave me the the twenty minute warning, <laughs> so we could go into the featured paint scheme now. And I can, we could keep this thing on track and not let it go off the rails. So now that now it's your turn, it's your turn to go because it's your lead this week. So you go ahead and go back into it. That's it for Rob's uh, Rob Rob's racing report for this. Well, there's a lot of news we haven't discussed yet. We'll talk about that later in the show. Uh, um, but I'm just going to take the reins back for a moment here. The featured paint scheme this week is the 2015 NASCAR Xfinity Series. Um, I don't know about you, Rob, but it took me uh, just a little bit to decide on which one I wanted to do here. But when it I saw the take me like, as long as it did last year, but it, I still had to, I still had to think about it. It's it's a really good year for Xfinity paint schemes. There are some solid paint schemes for sure. So, Rob, why don't you have one about yours? Yeah, so I, I have a reason for this one. I promise this might be so obscure, so off the wall. Like, where is this coming from? So, my selection is Brian Scott's number two Safeway Throwback Chevrolet for Richard Childress Racing that he ran at Darlington. And this car uh, featured a flat red base. It was very, very basic, very plain looking with a black roof. Now, this black roof, I think, personally gave it a lot more character than I think any other throwback car uh, out there at the time. Um, and so Scott was ended up uh, finishing 12th in this car. And this was one of the most pleasing cars that I think I've ever seen at the time. And now I'm going to give you a reason why I picked this. It's not just because Brian Scott had some absolutely beautiful paint schemes during his brief NASCAR career. Uh, it was always great to see him end up torn up, but, uh, you know, I, I loved those paint schemes. They were the greatest paint schemes ever, simply put, like some of them, especially the Shore Lodge ones. But yeah. the, the Safeway one I love because ever since I've been a kid, right, uh, I do sim racing, and I think I've mentioned it a couple of times on this show. And uh, every time I design a car, I don't know why, but I always I've designed Safeway cars. And if you're ever interested, and I could I could post some on Twitter, I I still have some, but uh, I I'm sure I still have pictures and stuff laying all over the place. But I always have made Safeway cars forever, and this was but this was the first time I'd ever seen this car a Safeway sponsored car in real life. Like I'd never seen this. So this entire time, I had been taking my own liberties by basically saying, "Ah, uh, well, what would a Safeway car look like?" 
you know, and I've I, I've kind of nailed it a couple of times. You know, I've come close to designs that Brian Scott had in at, at the time in the past, uh, but I'd never seen a fully fled like he had in 2016. I remember he had uh, Safeway was on the hood of the car, but it wasn't like a Safeway scheme. It was more like a Paul Menard deal where the re- base of the car was still sponsored by Menards, but the the hood was different. You know, it's like yeah. base of it is still like RPM slash Albertsons, but the hood says. Safeway today, um, so that was the closest I'd co- I, I, I or that was the closest I, I I could come even in when he was racing in the Xfinity series. But this was the first time that I ever seen a full blown Safeway car, and it's just so pleasing. I, sh- I I wish I had a diecast of this. Honestly, I would love to have a diecast of this because this, this is probably one of my favorite throwbacks that nobody would ever talk about. Um, and it's so simple, it's so basic, but it's just so pleasing to look at. If you ever get a chance to look at this. Please do, because that number two looks very, very – it looks like something Richard Childers would have ran back in the day. Um, it's just a very, very beautiful-looking car. So I highly recommend getting a chance to look at it on J-Ski if you ever have a chance. I'm sure we'll post it uh, on the Twitter, but, dude, great car, great car. So I want to talk about that. And, Josh, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yours next? I just about chose yours, not going to lie. You what? I just about chose yours. That you Really? Did. Yeah. Yeah, really, I can't like, believe that. Yeah, that one in uh, Ty Dillon's uh, Yingling mm. primary Yingling car. For, I almost did that one too. That one was such a good paint scheme. But I ended up going with Regan Smith's number seven fire alarm services Chevrolet that he ran at Dover in the fall. It had a the base was a matte black with neon lime green down. I remember the top this. Of he the won car. Yes. Yes. Um, and then the size of the car, you know, had that, that, I don't even know what to call it, but the typical fire alarm services graphics that are on the sides of the cars now or, or trucks, depending on what, what, what series we're in, they were also lime, uh, neon lime green. Um, and the number was, was like silver and then had like black outline accents there. Um, just like, it just pops at you. And I think it's just, it's a great looking car. Why can't this, why couldn't fire alarm services sponsored him all year long? And why couldn't this been the primary sponsor all year long or primary paint scheme all year long? Excuse me. Um, I love this car. I remember watching this race. I'm like that is a fantastic looking car. And then he goes out and wins it. Oh, yes. Makes it, makes it even more perfect. You know, I've, I know we've, I've, we've chosen, I can't remember off the top of my head every single paint scheme we've chosen over this time frame. I can't uh, either. The 75 episodes we've been doing the show. But I can't remember one that like only ran one time and won. So that's pretty cool. I totally forgot that he At won. At least that we picked. Yeah. So I, I, I love this car. Just And I've talked about it before. I don't know what it is, but green cars. I know they're unlucky, traditionally unlucky in motorsports, but... Bobby Labonte would has entered the chat. Bobby Labonte has entered the chat. You're you're right, but I like these car. Any green car, you, any green and black car, you get my attention, and I don't know why. I I, I can't I, I can't explain that. My school colors weren't green and black in, in high school, so mine were. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, yes, yours were. Yours were. But I, I, yeah, mine wasn't. So I don't know how to explain my fascination with with green and black cars, but they do. Um, I don't know. It's just it's a good like looking green car. And All the fire alarm services, though, to be fair, do look good. It, and I like how sometimes they change it up the colors and 
Um, you know, there's been some red ones, some blue ones, I think a pink one here too for, for breast cancer awareness a couple times. So they always do look good. They always do look good, but this neon lime green, man, mm, looks good. Looks good. All right. So moving on here, that was a featured painting scheme here. We only had one winner this week, uh, Rob, and that was Max Verstappen. So with that, we can say, yeah, we only got one race to discuss this week. Yeah. Let's just jump right in the F1. Um, Kind of your 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 thoughts. I'm going to open this up to you. What are your thoughts? What was your takeaway from this weekend? Um, compared to what we saw last week, <laughs> this was boring. Mm-hmm. Was boring. Anchor I me. mean, I woke I woke up and I I watched. I think I watched up until about Perez's retirement, and after that, I was just like, "All right, I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to keep watching, and slowly but surely, I'm falling asleep." And that's what ended up happening. So I watched the rest of it later. And I'm like, boy, this might put me to sleep again. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm, I'm being flippant here, but, you know, it's. I think we talked about it last week in the upshift downshift. And I really, really thought about it this whole weekend. I was like, I would love if we could use alternate layouts of Abu Dhabi because I think there's. You can make this track more competitive like you can make Bahrain more competitive. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. You can make Abu Dhabi more competitive. I think there's many... I mean, look, I don't, I don't want anybody to get me wrong. Abu Dhabi is a beautiful racetrack. It beautiful. is easily one of the most picturesque and beautiful racetracks I've ever seen. It is fun to drive, I want to add. It is actually genuinely enjoying to drive. It's in a lot of racing games. Like Forza, I have I think Grid Autosport has it. Um, obviously, it's in the Formula One games, but it's in a lot of racing games. In every single one, it's still fun to drive. But you can it's it's very obvious that that Grand Prix layout that they have is not made for passing. Uh, and I think that, I think there's a lot of places on the track that you can change up, especially in the first sector. You know what I'm talking about, where it it has this little. How do, we have that chicane that before yeah, the first hairpin. This yeah. we, you could just eliminate that chicane, and I guarantee you, and make that a DRS zone. Mm-hmm. Have some fun. You know what I mean? Have some fun. And maybe not a DRS zone because you'd have two back-to-back DRS zones. But That'd be too I, fast going to that hairpin. Yeah, but... Okay, maybe not a DRS zone, but going into the DRS zone, it would still be a better... It would still be more exciting, a more exciting corner, and it would still produce, I think, a more exciting race start if that chicane was not there. And you just went straight into the backstretch after a, a little hairpin and then went straight into the DRS zone. I think that would make for a better uh, race in general. And that's just changing one little part of the track. And that's all and that's what that was a major, major thing I was noticing was that guys could potentially make moves into that hairpin but the issue is it's such a a fast left right hander that you really don't have it and then right into another left hander again that there's no time really to make a pass or go side by side through that corner now if you extend it entirely and just make it into a, a hairpin then you actually have an opportunity for side by side action to happen at least through the hairpin and setting up into the run down to the drs zone especially on the re on a race start I think it would be more entertaining and it would be a little bit more exciting as for how it would act for the rest of the race. Eh, I wouldn't know, 
but I actually wouldn't change anything else. I honestly can't say I would change anything else about the racetrack. That is the one thing that I saw throughout that race where I was like, dude, if they just change this one little part of the track, I think it would make the racing a lot better. Because Abu Dhabi, it's a fun, flowing racetrack. You know, you very can't fun. say that it doesn't flow. It flows. Um, the corners are very fun to take, especially that weird uh, corner, the, the 13, 14, 15 complex, if you know what I'm talking about, where it kind of like does a little S, you know. Um, well, Sergio Perez made that crazy move on Lando Norris last year in the race. Yeah, 11, 12, 13. Oh, it's 11, 12, 13? Okay, sorry. I yeah. didn't know the corner number specifically, but... Uh, I, that's, that's a good, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, that's a terrible corner. No, I think it's really, really difficult. And that's what makes it fun. It's not a corner for passing. You don't have to have every corner on some of these tracks don't have to be passing corners, but they can be difficult. Abu Dhabi has maybe one, one and a half good ish passing corners. It needs to get more. It can have those difficult corners and it still be a good track. Cause believe me, I love it. But if you just got to get more overtaking point on the track, and I think the circuit, the way it is, yeah, I absolutely think that you could change it up. So that's my biggest takeaway. That's my top biggest takeaway of Abu Dhabi is seeing and comparing it to last week at Bahrain, seeing what happens when we change up some of these track configurations. Because most of the tilkadromes that we go to have different configurations. Well, we can change things up and and change the way that the car might might run. And I'm not saying that, no, no, I'm not saying that the Bahrain Grand Prix circuit isn't great. It actually has more passing areas, I think, than Abu Dhabi. But we've seen that it's the, the outer layout is just more fun. And I think WTF1 posted a really, really great meme of it on Sunday of like the Wolverine looking at a picture, and it's just the Bahrain outer layout, and he's crying about it. And I'm like, yeah, this is about how I feel. I miss the Bahrain outer layout. I miss that kind of racing where the cars were a lot faster. They were a lot closer together. Uh, and even if they weren't passing as much, it was still more entertaining, I think, because the cars were just flat, going flat out, what felt like. You know, we're setting sub one minute laps here. I mean, it was just fun. Um, so I think Abu Dhabi was, it was unfair to kind of pass it up. That should have been the, cha- the, the, the season finale. Is that Bahrain outer layout should have been the season finale. Um, but, you know, outside of that, you know, it was just this typical F1 race. Uh, and that's really my biggest takeaway of it was, you know, in a season full of fun, crazy nonsense, it kind of ended in a way where it's like, okay, we're back to normal. Verstappen's going to win, which is great. And a lot of people like Verstappen winning. A lot of people say, oh, when Verstappen wins, it's a good race. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's one way to look at it. I looked at it that way for a lot of times when Vettel would win, uh, it, when he was starting out with Ferrari. Uh, I was like, all right, cool. I can get behind this. I love when Vettel's winning. It's a good day. I'm sure people feel the same way about Max, regardless of whether or not the race was enjoyable or not. As long as Max wins, who cares? Uh, But again, it's like, dude, uh, from the average fan, it's kind of like, all right, this was an average F1 race after a really uh, above average, above average year. That's all I got to say about that, Josh. I'm sorry I went a long time again, but you go ahead and add anything you want to that. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree. I, um, there's been a lot of excitement this year, you know, in, in the changes and that that we had to endure with COVID, and some of that those changes to create its own excitement. But we really le- dropped a dud. There was a dud dropped. I mean, not the way you want to close out a season. I mean, I think the broadcasters were getting <laughs> fired. 
I mean, I'm like, yeah. It, are they fighting to stay awake up there? That's what I was thinking. I, 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 I very, I usually, I'm, I'm doing something very minor while I watch while I'm watching a race, but it's usually also racing related. So usually when I'm watching these races, I'm I'm typing stuff out for the podcast, or a, you know, I'm I'm taking down my takeaways of some sort. That's usually what I'm doing. I found myself on SportsLogos.net. Oh my God, you were must have been really bored. You went oh down a rabbit God. hole. There's nothing like well, Lewis almost closed up on Botas. Nah, no, no, he's not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna pass him. Couldn't pass. Couldn't pass at all. I agree. The if you go, I was a little disappointed while you were talking. I went to Racing Circuits. Um, is it Racing Circuits? Uh, Racing Circuits. Dot info. Racing Circuits. Info. And they have they have a variety of tracks on there, and you can go to the Yas Marina circuit and under uh, you know the United Arab Emirates sub uh, country category, and uh, they only have four layouts on there. Though I was a little disappointed. I thought there was, I thought there was more. I, my my brain failed me on that one. But there's a, there's a corkscrew circuit that basically just takes out that horse or the uh, um, hairpin part of the track and then you have the north and south circuit and a lot of people were, were were pointing towards maybe the north circuit should be ran i think that would be kind of an interesting circuit myself it's less than two miles in length though um but but yeah in general it was just it was just boring i i couldn't i was disappointed like i said i, I did that's not the way we won the, the f1 season and especially when you had so many you know you have a lot of lasts you know you know you talk about last with the uh, race with Vettel, Ferrari, Ricardo, Renault, Sainz, McLaren, Perez, Racing Point. Uh, it's the last ra- race for Racing Point before they become Aston Martin. Uh, Renault for Alpine. There's just so many good storylines to talk about, and you're crowning a, a seven-time champion only the second time ever, and you have this race. It's just like, really? I think the problem right now that I think, and I could, and I might be mistaken, but Abu Dhabi may be under contract as the season finale. Like they are guaranteed to be the season finale race. I would, I would think so. Cause they have been for so long. Yeah. Which but, again, I agree. It's a beautiful looking track, very aesthetically pleasing. It's just the circuit is not there to produce the racing. Now could, looking, actually, I want to say this. You just mentioned racing reference, or excuse me, racing circuits, that info. I am looking at, that North Circuit right now. And yeah. again, if they took out the chicane there at turns five and six and just had it go straight through into that hairpin, that would be a fast, sweeping, fun track. Yeah. I think just I like I, the Bahrain outer layout. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I didn't make that comparison, but yeah, I, I agree. I think it'd be great. Again, I mean, we, we could even week. leave that hairpin in there and I think it would still be good. Yeah. I, I think if you. It goes back to last week. I think this is – we had a shot to do – this is a little different because you didn't know how it was going to run, but they needed alternate circuits. Like next year we go to Abu Dhabi, they should be running some sort of different different layout. Then the next year, then maybe go back to circuit one. We don't have too many different ones because then it just gets confusing and, and for the drivers and a lot, right. and a lot of consistency. But I mean, look if you look at a map of Abu, Abu, uh, the Yas Marina circuit, there are a couple different places where we could change up how the track flows. And there, like you mentioned, there's some good parts. The turn 11, 12, 13, I love that part of the track because it's a point where if you're the guy behind a guy, 
and he makes a mistake, you can get by him. You can oh, yeah. you have the momentum. You can get by him and vice versa. Maybe the guy behind honorable, you. Honorable mention goes to the very next sector, the turn yeah. 15, 16, and 8, 17, and 17 sector where you're flat. Out, it's, it's, all, it's not like a – it's not a quadruple apex, but it's like a double apex. Yeah. And I love that because, and then, because this is the thing that always it, it throws you off guard because that turn seventeen being so tight comes up so much faster than you think it's gonna come. Mm-hmm. Like every time you're driving it, you're going flat out through turn fifteen and sixteen, and then all of a sudden you got to get hard on the brakes in order to make seventeen. It's a good corner. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it's set up. It doesn't allow for it to be the best overtaking spot. It's still right. a fun corner. It's still a challenging corner for the drivers. But it's not the best place to overtake. And I think, you know, that's the thing. These corners can stay, but we need to find a way to expand the track or experiment with different layouts of the track so that there's you're 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 not taking out favorable elements of the track that give it, you know, character, but mm-hmm. at the same time you're still making the track you know, you're making the track suitable for passing, which is yeah. I think the most necessary thing that every racing series needs to do. Yeah, and and I'm wondering what this new car in 22 is going to do. How is this going to change? You know, some of these circuits that we call duds, and and you're like, well, Spain, you know, uh, Catalonia is not very good for passing. Is how's this car going to affect that? How's Catalonia could going? be better if they took out that again that stupid hairpin at the at the very end of the the, the lap. No, yeah. So, um. The only other things I had, I had one thing I thought of at the end of the race because there was people thinking that Botas would pit. Mm-hmm. I don't think they pitted Botas for this reason. If something goes wrong, he loses second place in the standings for Staffan. Ah, good point. And and this goes back to a point we'll talk about later. He should never have been in that situation. He should never have had to be thinking about. Uh, if I pit here and something goes drastically wrong, like last week, I might lose second because he just barely cleared for Stappen in points. And that should say something about Botas' season. Okay. Um, and then the other thing was too, you know, like darn it for racing point, because I think they should be P3 in the constructors championship, but McLaren showed up when they needed to. Their drivers had equal share of points. I saw that statistic um, before I had the chance to actually look it up. Was that like Science had fifty two percent of the points, Lando had forty eight, whereas in Racing Points case, Perez had like sixty five or sixty eight percent of the points. Now Stroll had some bad luck there. Like that, there was a four race stretch where it's just like, dude, this kid can't buy a break. Oh and God, yeah, that he he can't buy a break to save his life. So, it was never him. It was always on something else. Yeah, it was never his fault. Yeah, not his fault at all. So, yeah. Racing Point's going to be like, you know what? We had. A, I think they made a drastic jump this year in where they're in in, in confidence and also where they're going running. I think next year's going to be very exciting uh, with 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 Red Bull and, and Mercedes probably going for for that first place in the constructors championship. Red Bull has one legitimate shot to get it right. They got to hire the right driver to pair along Verstappen. They can't get somebody who's better than Verstappen, but they have to get somebody who can keep up with him. Yes, and and I think it's going to be tough to find someone who's better than him, unless his last name is Hamilton. But because I think Verstappen may be the best, the second best guy out there on the on the track. But 
you're going to have McLaren and Racing Point. Signs. Signs is really Signs better than people Signs give him credit for. Signs is really yeah. better than people give him credit for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, if he's if Ferrari turns it around next year, I would I'm gonna be I'm gonna be nervous. I would be nervous if I were Red Bull because it's like did you let this guy walk? You get you you could have had this guy, and you went with Kvyat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then one last thing to end this conversation before we move on because we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. Um. The broadcast, I can't remember if it was if it was uh, uh, Crofty or not, but he said there were 76,000 COVID tests in F1 Good this year. Courageous. And only 78 positive tests. That's, like he mentioned, approximately 1 in 1,000. I think very commendable. The motorsports community and as a whole, this COVID world has handled it brilliantly. We've handled it, in my opinion, we've handled it way better as motorsports in, people in the motorsports industries, motorsports fans, period. Maybe not on the, the dirt level, because good lord, some of those yeah. guys are just the short track and dirt dirt, dirt level. They, is is kind of a def- different talking point. Yeah, but we can talk about it at this point there. But on the on the high stages, yeah. okay, on the, the major in major motorsports, we've done it better than oh yeah, way better than the NFL, way better than the NBA, way better than MLB. I mean, we had there was not the ball. Where, like we, they had to cancel the entire thing because of the industry. Now, yes, IndyCar had to delay Mid Ohio, but that was more of a state and a local issue, right? But it wasn't like oh, IndyCar had fifty percent of their people were were under COVID quarantine. I think that's com- very commendable. One thing I wanted to talk about was like very very pleased with the sport. I love more than any other sport on on earth is that they all handled it well, and there was no bubble. No one had a bubble that no, yeah. had a, a little bubble because they were international traveling, but uh, for, for some of the people involved, but not everyone. And I think that is just fantastic. Um, we had a full NASCAR season. We ate, almost had a full NASCAR season, and we had 17 Grand Prix in Formula One. Fantastic job. Look, people are going to look back on 2020 and be like, oh, it, did, it barely had any races. But, dude. It's going to be easily, for me, one of the most memorable seasons of F1 since I've started watching. And I I, I remember 2012 very, very vividly. 2012 was a lot of fun to watch because there was a lot of parody. I mean, you still had one clear winner, and that was the Red Bulls, but you still had parody that was necessary. You still had McLaren being very good with Hamilton. Uh, You still had uh, Ferrari being very, very good with Alonso. Uh, you had a lot of really good parity in 2012, and I think 2020 had something of the same. I understand Hamilton ran away with it, and the championship battle was not nearly as fun as it was in 2012. But that being said, I th- I can't remember a year outside of 2012 where there had we had as many unpredictable races as we ended up having. Yeah. Um, I can't like there there were multiple races. I mean, 2012 was crazy. Pastor Maldonado won a Grand Prix in 2012 for Christ's sake. I mean. What in the where where did this happen? I mean, Alonso won in front of his home crowd at Valencia, where uh, Michael Schumacher stood on the podium. Uh, I I and by the way, Valencia is a better track, and I think Valencia would uh, arguably do much better with these types of F1 cars than it did with the previous types of F1 cars. I'm still sad that it's not on the circuit anymore because it was one of my favorite circuits when F1 was going there. I will always miss 
and love the Valencia Street Circuit. It will always hold a very dear place in my heart. I hope you do a featured racetrack about it, Josh, because it's a it's a sad, abandoned mess now, and it needs to be revived or something. Because I love that track. That the out. I don't know. Whatever. My point is. Yeah. F one was great this year. It was. It didn't go out on the highest note. But the fact that we got the whole season in when there was a time in in March when we thought we were going to have no season. Yeah, that we, there was just, there were twenty two planned races. We mm-hmm. got seventeen in. That's fantastic. Another thing you just mentioned that I totally forgot: four teams won a race this year. Four. We're an Alpha Tauri won. Yeah. A, an Italian team did actually win at. Monza. That is something that should be said. Yeah. That has not happened in quite some time. Yeah, it was. It was great. It was great. I think. Uh, and and I the, best part, it, the craziest part about it was it's not Ferrari. It was not Ferrari that won it. Yeah, and one thing we didn't mention, uh, I didn't mention last week, the similarity between Gasly's win in his reaction sitting there on the podium by himself and Perez sitting there. You know, both being their first Grand Prix wins is. It's telling how much it means to these guys. And Gasly, you know, kind of having a second shot. Perez, he's trying to fight for it to stay in F1. Uh, I love that. And that's that. those are two big things that you talk about memorable that I will remember this season over a lot of things. I mean, yeah, Hamilton getting the all-time wins uh, leader all by himself and, and now get a seventh championship. Yeah, those are going to be memorable uh, the, the the season opening race in Austria, where like half the field is is not finishing, is retired, is it was that was a very memorable race. You didn't know who was going to make it or not. Hamilton's win in in Silverstone with with, with one tire uh, with uh, three tires, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I I love the line. Uh, uh, Verstappen was asked, uh, "Am I going to catch him if you get on with it?" <laughs> love that i just love that so i mean yeah very memorable season and uh, to have four constructors win is, is pretty cool so all right with that we're going to move on now we're both going to talk about two things here um i know a little more in depth but rob who's your outstanding performance so this seems a little bit unfair but i've got to give it to lewis hamilton i'm sorry I, I this, guy, this guy and this is what's most impressive is you could clearly tell after this race this guy was drained yes i mean this guy is a week removed from having COVID symptoms. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that this is probably going to linger with Hamilton for a while, as it has with many athletes. Uh, Hamilton is obviously in peak fitness condition, and this virus does not care if you're in peak physical condition. It's still going to wreak havoc on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could clearly tell that Hamilton was more drained after that race than I think I have ever seen him, no matter how hard he has driven in his entire life. Races where Hamilton had to fight and claw his way up to the top to win this race, a race is where he didn't even win this race. This guy just finished third, and I feel like he was celebrating a win. Like, honestly, just the fact that he finished the race without collapsing, I feel like he was taking in stride with pride almost because I I don't know if I could do it. I don't know that I could – if I was put in that same situation where I had just gotten a a disease like COVID. Now, keep in mind, I have not had COVID, so I don't know how much it takes out of me, out of you. Uh, But I do know from what other people have said, it's a lot. It's a lot. You feel awful for a long period of time when you have when you are dealing with COVID, and after the virus leaves your body, the damage that it's that it leaves is insane. So for Hamilton to just go out there, run his own race, and survive, and still finish on the podium, 
who cares? Who cares if he didn't win? Who cares if he didn't, you know, if he couldn't pass both, whatever? Who, who cares? You know, Hamilton did something that to me is superhuman. That I, I think if it was anybody else, I think Perez, how many weeks did it take Perez to get over it? Like two weeks, give or yeah. take, and he was, and then he was back. So Perez had more time than Hamilton to to to, to recover. Well, he missed both races, and he, he did miss both races. races yeah. yeah, Hamilton only missed one, and so Hamilton's still recovering from it. Perez doing this season with COVID. Hamilton doing this season with COVID. Dude, just outstanding. I mean. It's unfair to give it to Lewis Hamilton because you could give it to him every week, I think, because he's always outstanding. But in this case, specifically, I don't think I could have done it. So that's why I'm giving him my outstanding performance. Well, mine is a far and away second to yours um, because I, I agree with yours wholeheartedly. But I'm going to go with McLaren. I'm, I'm going to go with McLaren. You know, Racing Point had the opportunity to really kind of – walk this third place home and you know failure down it happens but mclaren finished fifth and sixth easily enough points to to surpass racing point but they didn't beat themselves and i think it's really neat that it's this this is the first time they finished uh third or better was 2012 you know you mentioned it so it's been a while since since mclaren has been this good uh you know and this well i think they finished fourth like the year after that um, uh, or something, uh, something a year or two after that, but it's been a while and you could tell in the celebration, I think it's exciting to see them running this well. Um, especially with, with, with Danny, Daniel Ricardo coming in next year alongside Lando Norris, that's just going to be a cool personality pairing. And I think they're both very talented drivers. I, I think they both can get, get a win next year, you know, given the right circumstances, you, you know, be, it's going to be tough to beat Mercedes. I think they can beat Red Bull on now. I think they can. And uh, But Mercedes is a whole other deal. But I loved it that they brought brought their A game. And uh, they were beat by the, the two cars that were that were just straight up better than them this year. And and I just enjoyed that, uh, to see a historic team like that get, get a third place uh, after having some really down years. Um, just good to see. Just good to see. Like I said, far and away, second, you know, best outstanding performance compared to yours. Because I agree, Hamilton did something superhuman. Um, as if he's it's something he as if he's not already superhuman yeah. every day, every exactly. weekend he goes out there and drives the race car more perfect than every anybody I've ever seen. Yeah, you talk about a slot car. He's slot car driving, <laughs> and, and that's not like an insult to him because I still no, don't like not. people who say Hamilton is all driver like have you ever watched this guy behind the wheel of a race i mean it looks like he cannot put a wheel wrong yeah. i mean i've never seen somebody who just memorizes the fastest way around the track to a point like he knows exactly where he needs to hit the apex and mm -hmm. it's just second nature to this guy like everybody else you know they might miss an apex here they might miss an apex here they might have one good flying lap but usually uh throughout the race you know they're not thinking about all this stuff they're they're, they might miss an apex here and there. They might lose lose some times here. They might go off track here and there. Hamilton just doesn't. It's like he just can't make any mistakes behind the wheel, and that's what's just always been to me so impressive about Hamilton. It 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 doesn't matter that he's in the best car. You can anybody can you can pull up anybody in the best car, and they might win one, two, three races. 
But at the end of the day, they're not going to dominate in the same fashion as Hamilton does. And just because you have the best car does not mean you're the best driver. You have to be the best driver and the best car to do what Hamilton's doing. Agree. And that's quite frankly why why he is where he is. And then driving with COVID, getting a a podium. Let's be – who else could drive with lingering COVID symptoms and manage to stay focused, keep your head down, and make zero mistakes so much that you finish on the podium of a Formula One race? I don't care if you're in the best car. Not any, just anybody can go and do that. So, I agree. Well, with that said, Rob, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment here, the upshift, downshift segment. We got five questions today. Uh, if you're returning, you know how this goes. But if you're new, um, upshift means you agree. Downshift means you disagree. We might even throw it into neutral every once in a while because, A, we just aren't sure of ourselves. We don't know how to answer. B, we may not care. And C, well, I don't know. We just feel like it. It's neutral. We just feel like being different, difficult out there. Um, we'll post these questions on our Twitter and uh, the show's Twitter. And uh, you can play along. And if you listen and you want to say, hey, Josh, you were completely wrong. Or Rob, you were completely right on that on this question. Let us know. Um, or we, you think we're both full of crap on an answer because sometimes we do agree. We don't always disagree. So let's start. Question one. When NASCAR's top three divisions visit Circuit of the Americas for the first time in 2021, the full 3.41-mile circuit ran by Formula One will be used by NASCAR. Do you upshift or downshift? You know, this is an interesting question. I did not expect this, but I actually do upshift. I think it'll be interesting. You know, the mo- the closest I think we've come to seeing a stock car run at Coda has been when supercars came here in 2013. Um, and if you've seen that, the, those races, they were really, really generally good races, but they used the shorter club circuit. So for NASCAR to go ahead and decide, yeah, no, we're going to use the full Grand Prix circuit, and we're really confident that these cars are going to be able to turn some really high RPMs. I'm just excited to see what, what what's going to happen because you know you're gonna we're going to get used to seeing some high RPMs at the at the end of these straightaways uh, when we go to Indianapolis in in, in August and. Uh, you know, later, obviously, when we go to the, the Daytona road course, we're still going to see some high speeds as well uh, on these road courses. So I think it really is going to put NASCAR in an interesting uh, place where they say, OK, do we go high horsepower, low downforce, make these cars really look fun to drive? Or do we you know, what's the kind of package that we're going to use? I hope that I, I from what I've heard and understand, I believe that it should be the low downforce uh, high, high horsepower package, which would be ideal uh, for Coda, because if that's the case, then this is the best possible package for them to run the full, uh, the full circuit at Coda. So I'm going to up. Shift on the base. Well, but I'm going to add. So they now with that being said, they don't run the full circuit at Watkins Glen. And for the years they did do it at Sonoma. So who I know. cares? Indy cars only race Dakota one well, time. Formula one ran at Watkins Glen. About the long time ago. It's a different circuit back then. Well, uh, but, but still, I think, you know, it, 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 they're still both for They were.
Definitely. the circuit length overall, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with both with um, with all three series running the full circuit. I think it's going to be exciting to watch all three races there. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, you know, like for your reasons too. You got high RPMs and uh, high speeds. You're going to come into these breaking points, and um, these guys who build these cars, put them together, and put these brakes in, and make sure these brakes are all up to snuff or are going to make their money at, at Circuit of the Americas. My favorite sure. thing is this is only going to be, to my understanding, this is only going to be the second FIA grade one circuit NASCAR has ever ri- driven at, the first being Indianapolis. So I am going to be very interested to see a track in NASCAR like this. Well, that- are you talking about Cup? Because they didn't. Yes, I'm talking about Cup. I'm talking about Cup. No, I'm not talking. I know Xfinity raced in Montreal, but I'm talking about Cup in in Mexico City. I mean, Mexico was not Grade One at that time, though. That's true. It wasn't Grade One at the time. Uh, only only Montreal was. Montreal was the only Grade One circuit, but that was for the Xfinity series. But NASCAR, uh, the only, so far, and and even then, the Cup series hasn't run in a Grade One circuit. I mean, the Indianapolis Oval is not Grade One. The road courses. Yeah. So, yeah. the Cup series was going to run at two. They're going to go from. First of all, they're going to go from uh, three road courses a year to now what seven, and two of them are going to be FIA Grade One road courses. Pretty so, exciting! Wow, um, that's pretty crazy. Uh, and then, but but the, the thing that I'm really most excited about, especially at Coda, is the fact that you know already a NASCAR road races um, track limits doesn't exist. Yes. Uh, and Coda has a lot of runoff area. So are we? We just just. Track limits are wherever, wherever you, wherever the gravel starts. We're just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be interesting how they police that. We'll see how that goes because you know Charlotte Roble has her own unique track limit rules compared to Sonoma Watkins Glen. All right, moving on to question two here. Alexander Albon told Motorsport that he feels that he has quote done everything unquote to save his drive with Red Bull for 2021. This coming after Red Bull team principal Christian Horner praised him, calling Abu Dhabi Albon's best weekend of the season. Do you upshift or down upshift or downshift? Albon has done everything he could. Uh yeah, I upshift. I think Albon has done everything he could. Uh, I think the problem is it's just that it's another situation where your teammate is just way better than you are, uh, and that's not Albon's fault. I mean, some people are just you know not. The racer that's there's some racers are once once in a lifetime, like Verstappen, and like like Hamilton. I mean, we're we're living in a very surreal time where two of the top drivers in Formula One right now are arguably two of the best drivers of all time, in Verstappen and and Hamilton. Now Verstappen does not have the championships that that, that Hamilton does, but Verstappen has plenty of time to get them. I mean, he's he's what in, in his early twenties. Yeah. I mean, he's got plenty of time, whereas Hamilton is probably going to retire in a few years, you know, if that, you know, so at some point the crown is going to be passed to Verstappen anyway. But my point is, it's just going to be hard for anybody in that situation to impress. I mean, I, I bring up this comparison every time as people always say, oh, Michael Andretti's not a good driver because he failed in F1. No, he didn't fail in F1. He was teammates with Ayrton Senna. It's this unfair. guy had no. This this guy is teaming up with one of the most at the time accomplished Formula One drivers of his time, being paired up with uh, a kart driver who's never really won a five hundred and has a championship or two to his name, 
it was not going to look good. He was just not going to look good. And that's not saying Michael Andretti is a bad driver. No, I think everybody will agree that Michael Andretti is one of the best drivers to have never won the Indianapolis 500. He's a good driver. It's just he was not Ayrton Senna. And again, Valtteri Bottas is up, 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 up. Got breaking news. I'll tell you later. Um, breaking news just coming out of the F1 world at 3 a.m. Uh, but yeah, no, I think Albin has done everything he could. It's just that it's it's not it's just not enough. I don't think I. It's not a. It's not a dig at Albon. I just it's just like, dude, go somewhere else where people aren't going to be putting your talents under a microscope. Go. I think he'd be much better off and much happier at a place like AlphaTauri or somewhere else where he's teammates with someone who's more on his level where he can actually show hey i can get good results for this car and beat my teammate you know what i mean everything you say i think is is, is right but i'm going to be a bit harsher and i'm going to downshift okay. some of his best results have come when the better cars haven't been running at the end there's been other issues they and like last week he finished sixth yet mercedes both mercedes were behind him and his teammate was last i don't think he I don't think he has done everything he could. Now, some of the things he, uh, his results have been because of poor pitch strategy, but even so, you got the second best car out there, and he was not the third or fourth best driver out there this season. By far. Nowhere. I think he, I think he's a great driver. I think he is definitely one of the best in the world for these cars. And I think it's tough to be a teammate with with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. I think the the roles that Botas and Albon play are very difficult. But uh, no, I don't think he's done everything he could to save his ride. And if I'm Christian Horner, I don't I don't have a ride for for Albon next year. I'm going with someone else. And I think I've we've already expressed that I would go with Perez. So, uh, Rob, I'm, why don't you tell I'm, us about the breaking news real quick? I was going to say, I'm so glad we're talking about Red Bull right now because it has been official. It is a now official. Yuki Sonoda is joining Alpha Tauri next year, replacing Danny Kafiat. All right. So, well, there you go. D- good good for Yuki Sonoda. He is going to be back on the grid with Alpha Tauri next year. They're big, big deal. Japan is back on the grid, says Scuderia yep. Alpha Tauri. Um, I am... Very happy for Sonoda. I, I think he is a great talent, and Helmut Marco loves this guy. He is so high on him. Um, so I guess all that crap I was saying earlier about him going to Red Bull straight away is already obsolete. <laughs> already a little bit. Obsolete. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> it didn't even last to the end of this episode before it became complete crap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, let's move uh, on to question three here because I think agree that's a great that's a great uh, that's a great piece of news. I, I I hear great things about him from you and then others. So uh, excited to see what he can do with an AlphaTauri next year alongside Pierre Gasly. So question three here with Darlington Raceway hosting two NASCAR weekends in 2021 and seemingly beyond. NASCAR Throwback Weekend has been taken away from Labor Day week weekend and moved to the May race weekend. Do you upshift or downshift? You know, this one is so hard for me because I don't want to seem like I'm some kind of like old fuddy-duddy boomer who's like all mad about change. But like, I don't hate it, you know? I mean, May is a time to celebrate racing history because I feel like we spend most of May celebrating racing history. We have three 
even though they're not falling on the same day anymore, we still have three of the most historic auto racing events uh, that take place in May. And obviously Monaco, the 500, and the Coca-Cola 600. Um, and I think everybody, every race fan will acknowledge that those are three of the biggest races uh, held in the month of May. And they're, they're, it's not as a big of a crown jewel as Daytona, but it's still a race every NASCAR driver wants to win. Um, and so I would, I would say that I think that's a good thing. Um, I think this is, I do upshift. I will upshift on this only because I think it'll be overall more enjoyable to the fan experience to have this throwback weekend happen in May when we're already celebrating history. You know, we're, we sell, we go to Indianapolis and we celebrate the history of the Indy 500. Yeah, we're looking forward to this year and this next race, but, you know, we see throwback paint schemes there. All to Elio ran Yellow Submarine. I mean, we see it's not like it's not an uncommon thing to see at Indianapolis. I don't have a problem with them moving it up here. I mean, well, I do because I don't like them switching it away from Labor Day, but I I understand why they did it, and I'm going to upshift as towards why they did it because I think overall, I think it will make the month of May um, even more enjoyable and special uh, than it already is. Yeah, I think uh, I uh, I upshift for the reason that it's it's in the playoffs. Companies want to have their current logo. They don't want to have anything changed. The money they're paying, they want to have the paint scheme that they have probably approved run. Um, if they've bought that race, if you're if you're Napa, you want to have the Napa paint scheme that with with your logo colors unchanged on there. So does every other company. Um, if it wasn't a playoff race, I would kind of, I would probably downshift. But with obviously Darlington being the playoff opener, um, and I think it's cool that the Southern 500 opens the playoffs. Um, it's good to move it around. Makes that that May weekend kind of mean a little bit more. Gives it its special flair. You know, you talk about how do I make if I have two races, how do I make each each race unique? You know, for the fan experience. Yeah, you look at, I think Charlotte was the first really to do it. You have the Coca-Cola 600, then you have the Roval. Same facility, two different, two different, completely different races. Daytona now has kind of copied that. The Daytona 500 opens up the season. It's the Super Bowl of our, of our, of the series. And then the second race now is the regular season finale. And it's going to be a crazy wild race. It's kind of reinvented that race as well. I know the 4th of July messed something uh, to everyone there, but I think now it's even more reinvented. Now with Darlington, you're going to have throwback weekend in a 400 mile race in May celebration of racing history, as you said, and then they go to the Southern 500 uh, to open up the playoffs and uh, the oldest marquee race crown jewel race for those who don't like marquee um, on the NASCAR calendar. I think it's a good, I, I like the move was kind of against it for the first 10 minutes, but then like, I, I like it. I like it myself. Um, so next one here, Rob, this is, this is a, uh, uh, I like this question a lot. Haas is doing the right thing to deal with the Nikita Massapin um, incident we discussed last week internally. Do you upshift or downshift? You know, this is this. I, I made this question specifically because I didn't know how to answer it. Um, I didn't really know how I felt about this, and I really I wanted to put this question here so that you know we all could have a good discussion about it. Yeah. You know, like I said previously about Massapin again. I do not want to cancel him. I have no desire to cancel this person. If he redeems himself, there's nothing wrong with that. I will give him another chance. You know, I think that 
That's how most people who are not into canceling other people feel, is if you redeem yourself, if you're able to prove to people that you've changed your ways, then you deserve another chance. And that's how personally I feel. Issue is, as many writers have stated over the course of this past weekend, and Sky F1 has stated it uh, as well, if you didn't hear it, and they talked about it towards the end of Abu Dhabi Free Practice Rule 1 over the weekend, um, and I tweeted it out too, so if you scroll through my Twitter account, you'll probably find it. Um, but the fact of the matter is Nikita Mezepin has just not faced consequences for any of his actions. I mean, people have listed out the things that he's done, right? And yeah, you can argue whether or not, you know, some are more heinous than others. Some are just poor attempts at trolling. Some are actual legitimate, you know, behavioral problems. But the thing is, no matter what, it just seems like he does not face consequences. And the number one biggest thing you have to do in order to get somebody like this to learn that they'll learn what to do and what not to do is to have them face consequences. I mean, if that's how you parent, you, you mean if your kid is breaking all of your things, you take away their things and or it's to show them that hey, it's not okay. We're gonna punish you by taking away stuff that you like. You took away stuff I like. Okay, I'm gonna take stuff you like. You know what I mean? You get punished for it. That's how everything works. This is a case where Mazepin. We don't know if he's being punished or not. We don't really know how Haas is dealing with him. And I brought it up on Twitter as well. It's like, is when Haas says they're dealing with it internally, I'm using air quotes, you can't see it, but Josh can. Um, dealing with it internally, does that mean that Gunter Steiner is sitting with him at a desk or a table of some kind and he's just yelling at him? Or are they actually like making him do sensitivity training? Are they making him, uh, you know, you know, are they are they blacklisting him for some reason? Are they what do they do? Because they have not mentioned him. Haas has not mentioned him on any form of social media since the incident. The name Nikita Mazepin has only been mentioned in the comment section under every Haas post. Nothing. Every single thing they have posted in the past seven days has been exclusively about Mick Schumacher coming on board, Pietro Fittipaldi stepping up. Or saying goodbye to Grosjean and Magnuson and thanking them for their time. That's literally all that they have not once spoken about Mazepin. They have not mentioned him at all. And I think the public deserves some kind of explanation. What is going on? I think the public, if if it's if it's serious enough that Ted Kravitz calls him a, 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 a what did he call them? I it's some British word like a, a lark or something. No, what is it? What it, it starts with an L. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what it is. It's some English word. I'm 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 very American here. I'm showing my my Yankee heritage here. But uh, he called him something. It was a larf, lark. I can't remember. It wasn't lard. I don't know. But my point is, if you have Sky F1 basically saying these things about this guy, you're bringing somebody who's clearly already brought the the name of. Haas, the name of Formula One, the name of auto racing in general into disrepute. That should be a, a, a violation of FIA sporting code, period, if I don't know how the FIA has not brought down a further hammer yet. Uh, all of this still leads me to my final thing of I have to ultimately downshift. I think the public deserves to know something. We deserve some kind of update because we need to know if this is somebody who can be redeemed or if this is somebody who is simply irredeemable and 
will not learn from his actions, and we need to make that clear. I understand Haas wants to avoid publicity surrounding it. They don't want to make it a big deal. I get that from a PR standpoint, but you're not going to dodge the question. I mean, it was very clear that they did not want to talk about it at Abu Dhabi. And it, But let's be honest, as soon as the guys start rolling up into Melbourne, it's going to be on everybody's mind. What did you do? If not, Let's say, hypothetically, nothing gets announced. First thing in Melbourne, before FP1, at the press conference, everybody is going to be asking Gunther Steiner, what the hell did you do to Mazepin over the, over the winter break? What I guess you mentioned that preseason testing. Right, yeah, even preseason testing. So what did you do to Mazepin? How did you deal with it internally? Can you give us some kind of – I mean, you're not going to avoid those questions. People want to know. Reporters are going to ask them. You can't just keep saying we did it internally. You can't keep giving them the same answer over and over again. People are going to want to know, and journalists and fans and everybody are going to keep pressuring them. I understand they want to keep it under wraps, but the right thing to do in this case is tell people and show people what you're doing to deal with his behavior so that we as fans can at the very least sleep a little easier knowing that hopefully he's learning his lesson, he's facing consequences, and something is is being done. That's a long-winded way of saying that I downshift, but that I had to completely get it out there because it's just such a complicated topic. Josh, I, I give, I'm giving you the floor now because I want you to have as much time as you can to discuss your feelings about it. Well, I, I won't add a whole lot because I, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, I don't want them canceled for one. You gotta, you, know, I, you brought up redeeming yourself. Kyle Larson is a great example of that. Um, in the mistake he made, he's proven, Hey, I've changed. I am not that person. And he's continuing and has expressed his will to want to continue the good work he's doing. Um, I'm going to upshift for now. Okay. But if we come back a month from now and I haven't heard anything, I'm downshifting. I'm like, I don't mind. This is, I think this is a complicated situation. We talked about, you and I had this conversation about contracts in this, in, in, you know, how is his contract written? Is Haas looking for a way out? Um, what's the FIA doing? Because I too was going to mention has the, why haven't we heard from the FIA about this incident? Because I, I agree with what a lot of the re, the journalists there said, and we discussed, he's broken some con, code of conduct deal that, to me, I what he did breaks that. So he needs to be punished for that. Whatever that, whatever that punishment is, he needs to face it. And the things you brought up to me, we talked about, we shared. To me, I don't think he's learned his lesson in, in the past. So he's, I agree. He's, the, the only way he's going to learn is if he loses his ride. Yeah. And and if it's just losing a ride for a year and say, hey, buddy, you're going to sit out 2021. You get to watch from the sidelines. Um, yeah, they could just straight up suspend him and say, we're going to put Pietro in the car. Let's say hypothetically, and now this is. Wait, what? Put Kyle Mala in the car. That's who I would put. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Isla would be better. But I just said Pietro because he's yeah. the test driver and anything. But that all relies on what Pietro does because now some people – I mentioned this about Ferrucci earlier. Some people are connecting Pietro to um, to Dale Coyne because he had raced there in the past. Some yeah. people are connecting some dots that 
coin could have a ride lined up for Pietro as well. I don't know that, but like I said, you know, but but you're right. It should be Ilot. I, I ideally I would like it to be Ilot, but they could just straight up suspend him and say, yeah, you're still under contract. You're still going to race for us for like two three years, but you're not going to race for us this first year because you violated a team uh, a team rule. And that's ground for suspension. So you're still under contract. We're not going to violate your contract. We're not going to void your contract. Your dad is still going to pay us, but we're not going to put you in the car because we're going to call you suspended. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I, and, and, and I think it's just a complex situation because it isn't fresh. It is a fresh contract. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this happened days after he's announced. Oh, the, I know. Car. So that complicates things. Again, right now, I don't mind them dealing with it internally because there's a lot of conversation that is involved in this, depending upon which direction they're going. If it's the direction I'm wanting them to go, or at least the general direction, it's, a, it's going to take time to sort that out. But again, if, I, if we were to revisit this question a month from now and we haven't heard anything, I'm going to be downshifting and saying, look, where, where's this news at? What, what's going on? Too much time has passed to not say anything. I think we're going to hear something because you and I both know people are calling them every day. Any update on Massapin? Any update on Massapin? Hey, I just shot an email to you. Why haven't you answered? Is there an update on Massapin? Someone They're is not going to get away with it. They're going to yeah. like wait like weeks and weeks. They're going to go weeks and weeks without hearing anything, and then somebody is going to ring them and be like, hey, what you guys did? Do you guys have any update on Massapin? What you guys do to him? Like yeah. you're not going to get away with it. You it might die down, but they're not going to get away with it. Absolutely not. All right, so we got one more question here. Um, this is the last piece of news that we didn't discuss earlier. Toto Wolf is remaining loyal to Valtteri Botas, telling the media at Abu Dhabi that Botas will return to Mercedes next season and that George Russell's time with Mercedes will come one day. Do you upshift or downshift? It was a lout. That's what Ted Kravitz called him. Sorry. Um, yes. Uh, actually, as as I, I will upshift this. And I am going to explain why. I'm going to explain why. I, and I'm going to especially to hear this. It's the same reason why I praise Lance Stroll. It's the same reason why I praise uh, a lot of number two drivers. Formula One teams, typically, they have their star and they have their number two driver. Okay? And that is typically how it's always been. They want the number two driver to win races. They want the number two driver to contend for championships. They don't want the number two driver to upshow the number one driver. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not necessarily saying here that Mercedes has uh, underlying desires and they're actually a team orders team because I don't believe that. I believe that Mercedes is true. They yeah. don't. They don't do team orders. They don't do that. But at the end of the day, the thing about it is, is you don't want to have a situation where both drivers are rivals on the track. You want them to be friends. You don't want them to be rivals because if they're rivals, you get a Senna Prost kind of deal. And that's what you want to avoid. You want to avoid a Senna Prost kind of deal. You don't want to make the guy – huh? Hamilton Rosberg. Hamilton Rosberg was not nearly as, as – well, actually, I take that back. It it probably reached a boiling point a couple of times, probably as bad as Senna Prost did. But my point is Mercedes would probably like to avoid that again in the future. Um, so the main goal for them is sign a guy who can compete for championships, compete for wins, but is not going to upstage Lewis and is not going to make this guy mad because ultimately Mercedes probably knows this. Lewis is the main guy who's winning them those championships. I'm sorry. Like if they, if, if, if Lewis retired tomorrow 
and they had no choice but to put Russell in the car, I really would believe 110% that it's going to be much closer between Verstappen and Bottas and Russell. It's not nearly going to be as much of a cakewalk as it is for Hamilton. It's going to be a heck of a lot closer with those Red Bulls. And I think Mercedes knows that. So the best thing that they can do is get make sure that Lewis has a clear path to a championship and they have a number two driver in Bottas who is consistent and who is fast but won't upset Lewis, won't drive over his head, and will still win races when he when Lewis can't. And that's it, that's the same way Lance Stroll exists. Is because he's the same guy. He's not going to upstage whoever they bring. He's not upstaging Perez right now. He's not going to upstage Vettel next year. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's not going to upstage Vettel next year. But the, but he's going to bring the car home in one piece, and he's going to score points in the team's championship. And when Vettel is going for it all, and he inevitably screws up and puts it in the wall, Stroll is going to be there to finish in the points and get the team championship constructor points. That is, unless Stroll doesn't have a problem out of his control. If Stroll has a perfect race, like no 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 uh, mechanical problems, then he's he's definitely going to finish because that's typically how Stroll is done. Um, so that's why I think Mercedes is smart to stick with with Botas because and as much as I think people would love to see Russell be in there just for the sake of the craziness and just because people want something different in F one, I get it, but that's probably got to be Mercedes thinking. Like we have a much better chance of securing first in the truck in constructors and first and second in the drivers championship with Hamilton Bottas than we do with Hamilton and Russell or any, but any other kind of combination. And I think the same that that can be said in a lot of situations. I can point back to a lot of different formula one team pairings in the past where, you know, quite honestly, I'm sure that they would have had, I mean, where, why was Ferrari so successful? Well, Rubens could win races, but he was not going to upstage Michael. They weren't going to let him now, but he wasn't going to do that anyway. And I don't think Rubens could have. Uh, and that's just simply why Ferrari was so dominant was because Rubens was clearly the second best driver in the grid, in the best car on the grid, and that, that didn't mind. As long as he was out there finishing behind Michael and Ferrari was scoring first and seconds, why change anything? Why bother changing anything? This is the same thing with, with Mercedes. As long as Hamilton and Bottas are finishing first and second, I don't see any reason to change. That's just my opinion. As 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 someone who's got 105 hours on uh, on Motorsport Manager, that's why I come to that opinion. I agree with your logic. I agree with you that I think that's Mercedes thinking. I disagree with however what you said. I okay. shift. I think this is a mistake. Okay. I, I, I want to hear your your reasoning. If you're afraid of a rivalry, that's a that's a poor excuse to me. Um, I want, I'm just saying it doesn't work out in the end. I, it doesn't typically work out. Yeah, Rosberg ended up winning a championship, but what? But he quit the team right after. I think like he, <laughs> I, I I I understand, but I think if Hamilton doesn't like being would be upset that Russell's pushing him. That's a poor competitor. If you don't, no, I don't think Hamilton would be upset. No, I don't think Russell would push Hamilton is what I'm saying. I'm saying that the dynamic between Russell and Hamilton would not be the same as it is between uh, Hamilton and Baltas. You could clearly see that Hamilton and Baltas like being teammates more or less. They like being teammates. I think they just have equal mutual respect for them. Huh? Won't disagree. Yeah, I think they have equal mutual respect for one another. Bring George Russell in there, someone who's a lot younger, somebody who is 
definitely a lot more out there than not. He's he's still reserved, but he's less reserved than Botas is, I should say. Uh, I just think that that dynamic would be damaging to Mercedes as a whole because I worry about bringing someone in like Russell, uh, who might not be as and I who might not be as consistent as someone say Botas. Botas can, had proved multiple times throughout his time as Williams that he could be a consistent driver. Um, and there were many times where he was. George Russell has only ever gotten one shot in a top tier ride. Boltas had the whole time when William, the last time Williams was relevant to be in a top tier ride, and he did pretty good with that. If Russell say is is to move up into something else, then maybe I think McLaren would give him, or not, excuse me, not McLaren, Mercedes would give him another look. But right now, as it stands, I think they're going to stick with the status quo just because Russell. The only thing they have to compare him on is what he's got at Williams, and quite honestly, Williams is far below what Mercedes is looking for, and that's that's my thinking. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to clarify my my reasoning. And I think sticking with status quo is a safe thing. I saw I was far more impressed with what Russell did at at the Secure Grand Prix than I think I ever seen anything with Botas. Yeah, and that absolutely. Simply, and that simply is because he up showed a guy who's been driving the car for four years. It's embarrassing. If I'm both, yeah. I'm, I'm Botas, like, what am I doing here? And at Mercedes, that's a safe decision to go with Botas. I get it. And if they're going to hide behind loyalty, that's one thing. That's fine. I can respect that. But I think they're making the wrong decision, a business decision, and a, and a sporting decision to make yourself better. I don't think Botas pushes Hamilton. Russell would. What's gonna what what happens when you get pushed? You're gonna get better. Not to stick NASCAR in this, but I think Chase Elliott is going to become a better driver with Kyle Larson as a teammate because they're going to push each other, and that's something that Chase Elliott hasn't had in five years at Hendrick Motorsports in 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 that and in uh, his Cup career. I think not that Hamilton needs pushed. I'm not saying that at all, but could they be better? What are you going to feel get like if you're car? pushing Hamilton, you're just pushing him further. I mean, Hamilton is already as per- perfect as you can get. I mean, if you push him a little bit further, you you run the risk of pushing him into mistakes. Well, test him. I think I, I think it, it's also the best decision for the sport. For the it series. might be the best decision for the sport, but if you're looking at Mercedes, you dump tons and tons of money into this. You want it to be worth it. I know. I understand. I think it's still worth it though if you go with Russell. I think it, I, I, in, a, in, in, a, in a situation where we could see Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen uh, as teammates. Perez which, Verstappen would push Hamilton Botas way more than Hamilton you, than, than but, Russell would push Hamilton. hasn't had to deal with a Red Bull that had two really winning drivers the past couple of years and consistently winning drivers. The last time Red Bull had that was when Ricardo was still on the team. Correct. And even then, they weren't. Yeah, they, I don't know. They 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 were up against Ferrari as well, and I don't think and if next year I just see them getting better and that being closer. And with Russell, I think they have a better shot at earning more points, not having to worry about losing second place in the in the in the drivers' championship in the last in the last uh, call situation on the race, like I was talking about with with Botas. Yeah. The reason they didn't pit him there. I think this is the safe bet because you stick with what you know. But I think if you wanted to get more points, 
get more wins from your number two driver or your second driver, however you want to classify it. Russell was the guy to go with and have him learning. The last thing I'll say before moving on to have him learn in-house from Hamilton instead of waiting to fill Hamilton's shoes a year or two from now. I would take uh learn everything you can, George, because you may only have 23 races to do it, or you may have 46 races to do it. Learn while you can, because he's not going to get the same learning. I don't think driving a Williams in him and Hamilton driving Mercedes. Okay. You know, I'm going to, I'm for the sake of time. I'm, I think we should just leave it at that for right now. <laughs> All right. We'll talk about more at a later date. So we're going to get, like I said, we're going to move on here. Rollers featured racetrack. Uh, Rob has his racing report. Does a great job at it. And I enjoy listening to him. And I enjoy doing this rollers featured racetrack. We're going to have to get you to do something like Rob 500 stories here again soon. We need, uh, I should probably start doing that again. That was yeah, we need to do we, we need to do something special for you on the history segment. I can't be doing all the history talking here. Uh, so this week, as you're I have really, been, you're really killing me today. First, you give me the the stink eye because I'm going off topic. Now you're like, Rob, you got to do more. Like I know I talk well, too I, much. I, I know. I, I don't want to do all the history stuff here because I feel like it's just like, oh, why is he doing all the history stuff? You're reading all the current stuff, but he's doing all the history stuff. I don't mind doing the work. We I both really like history. You have a lot history, of stuff in that in in your brain that you could share. Uh, do you not have a degree in history? Uh, it's history, political science. Yes, I was gonna say. So I, I I don't know. I I don't have a degree in history, so that's why I'm. Okay. I, I don't know. Go ahead and. and <laughs> Tell us the history, because right, I'm not, right, I'm not right. additioning to be Donald Davidson, who, by the way, happy retirement, Donald. We're going to miss you, uh, but I, I'm way, not additioning if, to be him. So, If anyone here is listening from Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Rob is great for that job. I, I'm not, and I'm not just saying that, Rob. You came to mind as soon as I saw that. My knowledge stops at, like, 1989. I don't care. Okay. I don't care. You're, you, you, you can learn and absorb, man. You can learn uh, and absorb. That 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 is that is that is just you're perfect for that job. I will get going here, but for the sake of time, I will praise you for that at another at another podcast okay, down the okay. road. Um, as I've mentioned before, I am fascinated with historic Los Angeles, and his and historic Los Angeles has a rich history with auto racing. And uh, one may uh, call this installment of rollers rollers featured racetrack a continuation in a way, of a track I discussed this past April, Beverly Hills Speedway. Uh, if you are familiar with your board track history or your AAA champ car uh, history, you know which track I'm talking about, and that is Culver City Speedway. So the story of Culver City Speedway begins where Beverly Hills Speedway, a.k.a. Los Angeles Motor Speedway, uh, its history ends. After the uh, property for Beverly Hills Speedway had become too valuable and the track was disassembled to make way for the Beverly uh, Wilshire Hotel, which still stands today, uh, plans were made to build a replacement nearby, um, and they chose a site of a failed horse track in Culver City. Uh, the land was cheap, but also a big factor into the decision uh, where they were going to build it was it had three streetcar lines meeting near the site. Obviously, you can bring people to and from the... Uh, uh, track easily from long distances. You know, mass transit is exactly what they do today. Uh, track designer Art Pillsbury and builder Jack Prince, as at the Beverly Hills Speedway, used the uh, searless spiral easement curve, 
a common railroad design concept for, quote, triple radius corners uh, for smooth high-speed transitions entering and exiting the new track's 45-degree banked corners. Hmm. And the track would uh, top off, as many did, board tracks did back in the day, at one and a quarter miles in length. Uh, so contrary to what many people believe, Beverly Hill Speedway was not actually relocated to Culver City. Uh, for one, uh, the Beverly had 35 degrees of banking. That's really close to kind of what Daytona has uh, and Talladega has. So 45 degrees is a lot steeper, like crazy steep. Um, Jeez, Louise. And the grandstands at Beverly were a little bit more luxurious than the ones at, at Culver uh, so it w- really was, it, they did not relocate it. It was a brand new track, brand new, everything, uh, that they built there. Um, the track was located on the West side of the intersection of Culver Boulevard and Overland Avenue. Uh, so the final race at Beverly Hills was on February 24th, 1924. And the first race at Culver was supposed to actually take place on Thanksgiving day that same year, but was uh, pushed back, uh, due to construction delays. Uh, and that race took place on December 14th. Uh, that race was the ninth and final race of the 1924 AAA Champ Car season. 16 cars started the race after Ralph uh, Mulford did not start. He was There was supposed to be 17 that day. Uh, nine cars finished the 200-lap, 200 250-mile race with 70,000-plus in attendance. Bennett Hill won the race uh, and uh, was just completed under two hours. Harry Hartz and Tommy Milton rounded out the podium. Uh, at the race's conclusion, it was uh, made official that Jimmy Murphy was the season champion, albeit posthumously. He died as a result of his injuries he sustained during the sixth race of the season at New York State Fairgrounds. Um, and then Culver City uh, council members were so impressed with how well the inaugural race went and the race weekend went uh, that they commended, quote, the officers of the Culver City Police Department for the efficient manner at which crowds at auto races held December 14th were handled, unquote. Pretty cool, I thought. In 1925, Culver City took Beverly Hill spot as a season opening race. 21 cars were set to start uh, the race on March 1st, but only 19 did. Seven engine failures, a spark plug issue, a valve failure, and a fatigued driver left only nine drivers and cars running after 200 laps. Tommy Milton was victorious this time around. Pete DiPaolo and Harry Hart's were in tow. In April 1925, uh, with Leon DeRay and Peter DePaulo winning uh, a pair of 25-mile heat races, Harry Hart's won the non-championship 40-lap feature. Uh, that was, again, in April 1925, AAA cars and everything, but they had a lot of non-championship events back in the day. Uh, Frank Elliott went to victory lane at Culver City in the 11th and final race of the 1925 season. Uh, seven of the 15 starters finished that race. Uh, and then sadly, Evansville, Indiana native uh, Ray Karens was fatally injured in this race and uh, passed away uh, two days later on December 1st. In 1926, the AAA Champ Car season went from 11 races to 24, but Culver City actually lost a date. They only had one race there that, that season. Um, and it was the second race of the season on March 21st. Bennett Hill won that race. Uh, with familiar faces at, at Culver City, DePaulo, and Hartz rounding out the top three. They knew how to get around that track, even though they were all, you know, we could all say they were all sort of similar, but these guys just had something going at Culver City. Really good stats at this place. Uh, on March tw- uh, March 6, 1927, 
Culver City opened up the, the, the season there uh, with Leon Duray found his way to victory lane uh, after leading 34 laps. 13, 13 cars finished that race, including Dave Evans in 12th, who led a race-high 76 laps. Couldn't figure out why he he finished the race after leading that many laps, but uh, unfortunately didn't see that one, and I didn't have a subscription to newspapers.com to find out, so I apologize. Uh, Frank Lockhart. The pole sitter that for that race went over 144 miles an hour. Now that milestone was not reached at Indianapolis until 1956. So they were flying for the time around this, this track. Um, and and just think about that the 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 lack of safety that they had too. I mean, you're you're, you're oh, completely God, exposed. No I, I mean, I couldn't imagine going that fast in a in a car that ill protected. You know, we talked about safety for the past couple of weeks and just how far it's coming in a hundred years is amazing. Um, sadly, though, this would be the final race at Culver City. Uh, as with any board track, it all came down to maintenance, which was very expensive. And then with land values rising on August 8th, 1927 to 1920 and 1929. Because the land, uh, it actually it, it sat on. It didn't uh, didn't see housing be built until the early '30s. So they still wanted to race uh, on the track, but they just didn't have AAA races there. It was just local guys. Uh, so another interesting little tidbit here: depending upon where you read or who you hear from, some report that movie studios were built on the land. I, however, did not find such evidence. Uh, that this was actually the case and could simply easily be a misconception. But I will not discount the idea that MGM, whose studios were right across Culver Boulevard from the track, didn't use the open grounds for uh, filming or set building and, you know, some sort of, you know, quote, on location filming, I guess. I, I mean, because, you know, you had the big uh, hangar studios across the street. Maybe they want to have something open. I won't discount that potentially being there, but I couldn't find any evidence that they ever built uh, a movie studio, especially in such a quick turnaround where the track closed in 27, and then by the early 30s, there were already houses there. Kind of doesn't make sense to me. I think it's just, I just think it's simply a misconception of, of the location, side of the street you're on. Um, and just for anyone wondering... The MGM studios there are now actually Sony Picture Studios. So the studio uh, that was there in the 1920s is still there in a way. Uh, and then the little final point here. While they may not be exact, where turns three and four used to stand are now roads. Uh, these roads are the ones uh, within the neighborhood that was built around the curve. So on the front stretch shot side of the land where the front stretch used to be, uh, are Jasmine Avenue, Vinton Avenue, and Motor Avenue. Uh, when these uh, three streets intersect with Le Bourget Avenue, Motor becomes Montone Avenue, Vinton becomes Keystone Avenue, and then Jasmine continues on just a little bit longer, but then dead ends. Um, because they all meet back at Culver Boulevard, and you can't have the same, you know, the intersection with the same road twice. It's just kind of just doesn't make addressing very easy, obviously. Um, so again, where those roads curve and they meet is kind of where turns three and four used to be. Um, and it would take until at least 1952 for all the land to be covered by homes. So part of the track and it's, and it's ghostly remains still, still stood there for almost 20, uh, for more than 20 years, actually, almost 25. 
Um, so with that, Culver City Historical Society, Reddit, first time I've ever given them credit. Folks there, really? There, Reddit, Racing Reference, and History of America's Speedways Past and Present uh, helped with today's deal. I found the little nugget on the roads from Reddit and I uh, kind of verified it with some aerial imagery. So I want to give them a shout out. Okay. Rob, anything left to say today? I have really got nothing not much I left to say on that one. I think we're just we're about to hit time. Yeah. <laughs> if we haven't already. So what's in the windshield? Well, we got a little bit, but some of it's far out there. Rob and I, again, we'll be off next week. We won't have a shooting brand new show for you next week. Um but we are still preparing our New Year's special, which we will be recording uh, if everything goes as planned, either December 29th or December 30th for a December 30th, 31st release. So watch out. Be watching out for that. That will be our next uh, show. Um, Super Formula finishes its season on Saturday night and Sunday morning in the east at Fuji. Uh, that race is at midnight, uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Is that right, Rob? Yep, midnight into Sunday night into Sunday morning. So Saturday night, basically. Uh, make sure you pull up motorsport.tv if you uh, still have some racing fix, because believe me, I miss the racing season already. Uh, yes. But I'm glad that Super Formula at least has one more race to go. So I think I'm going to watch the Pikes Peak race that NASCAR posted on YouTube. Oh, I didn't know they posted that. one, but I will have yeah. to check that one out now, too. I think I'm going to have to watch it's, it's, it's It's the season to watch old races again. So It is. It is. Formula E, which would traditionally be racing at this moment, uh, doesn't restart till January, so that's when they come back. IMSA returns in January as well. NASCAR returns in February, and IndyCar and Formula 1 returns in March, but we'll be talking between now and then a few times. Um, not sure when after the New Year special, but I'm sure we will because we want to talk about Formula E a little bit there and discuss any other news that comes out as well. So I'm sure there's going to be news. I'm sure there's going to be news. We'll too. have a Red Bull. We'll have Red Bull news to discuss in the next one. I hope. I, I think so too. That one's going to be. A, we'll have a little bit of a news section there, uh, for sure. For because we're going to have to discuss that Red Bull news because, like, uh, it was like you mentioned in the news, the decision yeah. is going to be made before Christmas, most likely. So, with that, let's close it out. Let us know what you think of the show on on uh, any of the re- reviews on uh, where you're listening to the podcast. Um, Hopefully you give us five stars or the highest rating on there. Um, I don't know how Apple does theirs. And yeah, every place I listen to a podcast, they say at rate on Apple, but I don't pay attention because they don't have an Apple. I'm not an Apple. <laughs> I, I have that part. That's what I, I do that part. Okay. Well, I do the I, Apple I, part because I have an iPhone. I don't have any other type of uh, Apple product. I just have an iPhone. All right. And so whatever it is, even on Twitter, let us know, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, do this different. Maybe these would be better. We'll love love to hear what your thoughts and comments are on the show. Um, again, the Twitter's Rob is at R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. That's R-Peters-33. Remember, it's got the two E's in there. Uh, I'm at Roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. Um, and then the show is at Robin Roller there, just as it sounds, R O. B A N D R O L L E R. Um, and also, you can, you know, use hashtag Robin Roller as well. Watch out for our posts with our sneak peeks and then the upshift downshift. Play along and answer along. Share your thoughts on those as well. Thanks again for listening, folks. Uh, and remember to wear your mask, do your best to social distance, and uh, just be responsible with, with everything that's going on uh, in this world. Taking a few steps back, hopefully, these uh, we've realized that and we can having normal 
2021 by the end of next year as best as possible, or at least be heading in that right direction. So for Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a great night, everyone.